Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. I know that your powers of retention are as wet as a warthog's backside. But thick as you are, pay attention! My words are a matter of pride. It's clear from your vacant expression The lights are not all on upstairs But we're talking kings and successions Even you can't be caught unawares So prepare for the chance of a lifetime Be prepared for sensational news A shining new era is tiptoeing nearer Be prepared! Or, as the Coast Guard say, Semper Paratus. Semper Paratus is our guide. <laughs> For some reason or other, I know the Coast Guard song. Like, I could sing the Coast Guard song if I had to. If I were captured and they insisted that I sing the Coast Guard song to prove that I was whoever I say I am. Uh, but, but that's an idea, right? To be prepared. And uh, I should say the genesis of this show comes from a newsletter I get by Mark Slutsky called Something Good. And I don't always rem- remember to read it. But when I, I read it recently, and he was talking about stuff he'd mentioned in the past, and he said something about a flashlight. And he said, you know, I'm very fascinated by the EDC community. And I thought, you're fascinated by the what now? Well, the EDC community turned out to be Everyday Carry. And it's about a whole world, a subculture of people who really put a lot of thought into the question of what do you have with you when you leave the house? What should you or perhaps shouldn't you? have with you when you leave the house. So we're going to talk to someone who sits at the pinnacle of that community in just a second. A little bit later, we'll discuss the history of pockets, who gets them, who doesn't. It's gendered. (laughs) Spoiler, it's gendered. And then we're going to do a lightning round of things that you could conceivably uh, carry with you, including lip balm uh, and uh, Noxalone and, um, well, like what you would put if you had a kilt, what you put in a little kilt bag. So that, the last one isn't what you would carry, just what, what kilt wearers have to cope with that might be specific to them. All right. So that's the plan. And everybody starts out with a plan. Everybody leaves the house with a plan. That doesn't count. Uh, joining us now uh, is Bernard Capulong, uh, the founder and uh, editor-in-chief of Everyday Carry. Uh, and we are very excited to have Bernard here. Hi. Welcome to our conversation. Oh, and thanks for having me. So um, this starts, I guess, around 2009. Is there sort of a eureka moment that makes you start thinking about a more formalized approach to what people, including you, should have with them as they leave the house? Uh, EDC was, you know, around long before 2009. That's mm-hmm. sort of just when I started blogging about it because I found it interesting. Um, so there, there was not necessarily something that like changed my life where I had to think about this sort of stuff, but I was just into other hobbies at the time. Um, and it's funny that you, you mentioned before, that was an excellent intro to what everyday carry is, by the way, uh, about, you know, the EDC flashlight idea. It actually started before when I was looking for a flashlight to keep in my pocket. Um, 
And I saw this cool one, but back in the day, it was just very underpowered. It was like one lumen and an incandescent bulb. And now, you know, your the flashlight in your phone is much more powerful. It's a LED. Anyway, I got one of those and I thought, oh, there has to be something better. And then I researched and found that there was a flashlight community and those people would refer to, refer to that <laughs> as their everyday carry, right? And then it turns out those people also collected pocket knives and they also thought about the multi-tool they use. And collectively, this whole thing was called everyday carry. And I found it very fascinating um, to the point that, you know, me, I was like a teenager at the time, very much on social media. I decided I'm just going to blog about what I find is cool because all these people, these like subculture niche communities have their own you know, little forum where they're talking about this. And I thought, nobody's going to read all this. Nobody's going to understand all this technical jargon about flashlights. So I'll just like sort of curate all that together. And that's how I started talking about everyday carry, just like publicly on my my blog. Yeah, so you're sort of the supermarket of EDC ideas, and there are all these little boutiques. So you're telling me there's a mm -hmm. flashlight community, a bunch of people who just really get off on talking specifically about flashlights? Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> but I, I would argue that it's it's the same as like uh, people who are into, you know, souping up cars or like people who build PCs. Um, there's so many commonalities in just more sort of mainstream hobbies, but it's all kind of like appeals to that gearhead, I think. Well, I'm not objecting to that. I mean, if you knew the show better, you'd know. We're totally <laughs> capable of doing a 49-minute show about flashlights. I just didn't realize right. that was an option. Uh, but now I'm getting kind of excited and I want to know what the best flashlight is. It, it does seem as though, well, first of all, I asked people just on my Facebook feed, you know, what did they leave the house with? And, you know, I got some pretty elaborate answers. Here's uh, somebody who says, keys, car and house, cell phone, lip balm, pen and pad, tissues, tape measure, homeopathic first aid remedies, lipstick, wallet with cash, ID library card, another mini wallet with credit card, Costco card, medical insurance card, bank card, and National Parks membership card. Um, but, you know, people have very specific things that they feel that they need. Uh, maybe the pandemic added hand, hand sanitizer and masks to that list. When you hear somebody, um, first of all, it must be good to always know when you go to a party that there's something everybody will want to talk to you about, right? You know, it's like, oh, here's what I bring with me. Oh, um, uh, yeah. Well, bold of you to assume that I, as somebody who practices everyday carry, gets invited to parties. Uh, of course yeah, you do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, no, it, it is uh, kind of a fun conversation starter, right? If you approach it the right way. So uh, are there, when you hear lists like that, I, I got 51 answers to this question. I'm not going to read all of yeah. them to you. But um, do you, when you see lists like that, and these are just regular folks, they're not members of, of EDC, do you find yourself thinking, ah, I could cut five of those things? I mean, do you find people have – let me just quick tell you a really quick story. So this isn't mm -hmm. exactly EDC, although it's EDC for your car, which is a thing too, I think. Yes, but, um, everyday car carry. Yeah, yeah, everyday car carry. So I have a friend, Arnold. Let's just call him Arnold. <laughs> and he's really into being prepared for everything. Um, and his sister, Cheryl, was trying to impress him one time. And she said, look what I got. It's this thing that has like a blade on one side so you cut yourself out of your seatbelt and then a hammer on the other side that you smash the window with and swim up to the ah, surface. Yes. Uh, and he said, Cheryl, how often does this happen to you, like where your car goes off the road and into a body of water? 
And she said, never. And he said, do you have like a flashlight in your car? <laughs> no. Uh, and so there's a way in which I think we have these somewhat eccentric ideas at times that are not super practical. So I don't know. When you see lists, do you go, oh, well, I could triage that for you if you want? Well, maybe, but it's it's just really interesting because it really depends on the person and sort of what they value. There are some people who cater their everyday carry around to uh, around the idea of like the everyday, right? The mundane stuff. Like they know that they're going to have to deal with these tasks or these situations. So that's what they prepare for. And then maybe on the different side of the spectrum, you have people who are preparing for worst case scenario, the, the unexpected and the emergency, right? So the the idea of this um like rescue survival tool in your car that's something that maybe it doesn't take up too much space it didn't cost you a lot of money but then you take you value the peace of mind of you know sort of feeling prepared in that situation um so there are some people who definitely make their everyday carry loadouts with with that spirit in mind right and you know it's it, i i'm a little bit in that category once again this what i have I, i'll be honest i don't have much with me that would be very interesting like on my person but in my car i have mm-hmm. a bag that ha- kind of has everything that i think i could possibly need it's a duffel bag yeah and and one of the things in there is i have qu- quick clot there's a person on this list of 51 things who has some kind of blood clotting stuff with mm-hmm. him for accidents and stuff now the likelihood that I'm going to encounter someone with a profusely bleeding wound, a high-volume blood loss situation, is low. (laughs) But on the other hand, I do have quick clot if it happens. And so in a way, when you're playing around with EDC, that's what you're doing, what you were just saying. You're thinking, do I game for the 2,000 to 1 odds scenario, or do I just make myself really prepared for stuff that I kind of know will probably come up? Exactly. So I want to um, ask you a specific question because um, – and I'm actually going to make it into a steel cage match. And in the steel cage on the one corner, I'm going to put the Swiss Army knife. And then on the other mm-hmm. corner, I'm going to put the Leatherman tool. Because uh, mm. one thing I discovered getting ready for this, and you must deal with this all the time, there is a cult of the Leatherman. There are people <laughs> who yeah. – explain what Leatherman is because people might not know that. And then talk a little bit about that whole multi-tool idea. Cool, yeah. So I can explain um, both of the corners, uh, both you know fighters in this, uh, this <laughs> ring. So the – both of them are, are what we would call multi-tools, and that's just they have multiple functionalities or tools in one item. And this kind of stems from the idea of like maximizing utility or functionality in as little space as possible because EDCers have, or like people who do everyday carry, they have limited pocket space, right? So they want to maximize the functionality within that space. So that's when they'll opt for a multi-tool. However, there are two sort of Schools of thought, or like major design, um, uh, major designs or silhouettes for a multi-tool, and one of them is like a butterfly style, also a very popular in the Leatherman style, where you kind of have two halves and you kind of break it open, and then in the middle there's like pliers, and it's a pliers based multi-tool, and in each handle, like left and right handle, there are uh, different tools, like a knife and like a screwdriver, bottle opener, that sort of thing. Whereas the Swiss Army knife might be a little bit uh, more familiar. Um, with people where it's kind of just like a single pocket knife. Um, you don't have to like unfold it, but people swing out um, of it. And, you know, there's a blade, there's a can opener, a screwdriver, that sort of thing. So there are people that 
um, who value, say, a blade more as like their primary tool, and they might gravitate to a Swiss Army knife because it's primarily a knife. And then there are people who who might use pliers more, and you don't really get pliers on the Swiss Army knife. And the Leatherman is sort of based around pliers as its main functionality. So that's the camp that opts for the Leatherman. Right. We should say that Leatherman is, I think, named after its founder, Tim Leatherman. It just yes, it's, yeah. it's complicated around here where I live because many, many, many decades ago, there was a guy called the Leatherman who was this kind of itinerant homeless guy who kind of lived off the land and just walked constantly oh. all over the place. He was legendary. And like his everyday carry was, I think, kind of nothing, but he was very resourceful. So I thought the tool was actually named after him. So we should also talk a little bit. First of all, we should say there is sort of... I wouldn't say there's a light side of the force and a dark side of the force uh, in the world of everyday carry, but there is there are a b- bunch of people who think the eventuality you should be prepared for would involve some kind of violence. You ought to have like a big old gun or a big old knife or both or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the everyday carry, the carry part sounds more in this situation like open carry, concealed carry and stuff like that. You're kind of more right. in the peace-loving camp of EDC, Correct. Uh, I would say that um, in general, but yeah, so there, there is some history, like the etymology of everyday carry has to has some association with like firearms and off-duty law enforcement. And I think a lot of the early material on the internet or just that sort of discussion was around, you know, survival. Um, but, you know, now everyday carry, and this has sort of been part of the work that I've done over the, the past 10 years or so, is uh, making it more accessible and kind of mainstream and opening up and softening the boundaries of, of what everyday carry sort of means. And you'll see people, you know, like on YouTube, tech reviewers, they'll say, this is my everyday tech uh, EDC. And it's it's just like, okay, that's a MacBook, AirPods, and an iPhone. But like, you know, that that's like, uh, who, who are we to argue with that if that's, you know, the main things that they work with and what they use to navigate their everyday, right? That That's my take on it. But yeah, there, there are different parts of the spectrum. It's just so different for everyone, like what people define as EDC and what people prioritize as like, oh, this must be in an EDC versus this can't be in an EDC. Right. And and um, uh, people tell you a lot about themselves when they tell you they're EDC, often in a very fun way, right? I mean, we heard Absolutely. from uh, CJ May, who's a magician, who said, you know, I mean, he's he's the, the specific kinds of tricks that he wants to have with them. But he said, basically, for a magician, uh, a deck of cards is your Swiss Army knife. You know, if, if you think you might, over mm-hmm. the course of the day, have to do a trick, you probably ought to have a deck of cards with you. Whereas if you're a writer, maybe you want to have a pen and notebook. I don't know if you want to sort of carry those thoughts forward into other examples. Oh, that, no, that's that's a, a lovely observation. I love that idea. I, I've always felt that everyday carry sort of has a component of individual expression to it it's kind of like you know even an extension of your outfit it says so much about you and that's that's i think why a lot of people when i first started my website people sort of gravitated to seeing oh this is what other people carry in their pockets it's a little bit um, voyeuristic but just so interesting because you know each item on their own like has some merit to it but as a collection it kind of tells a story about who this person is what they find valuable you know what they find important and what they they fear even and like what they prepare for. Um, and it just goes to all like the stylistic choices of how they curate their EDC. So yeah, the example of like a writer might carry a, a pen and paper. You, you never know when like inspiration strikes and for them, they might value like having a way to capture that 
in the moment. And then for them, that's pen and paper. Other people will be just like, oh, I'm just going to pull out my phone and do that. Well, let's, you know, let's, um, let's, it's, let's, it's different for everyone. That's yeah. valid. Let's pause there because this is an yeah. important thing. A lot of things that existed in the physical world, in the physical EDC world, mm-hmm. could putatively have moved over to the phone. So yeah, you could just dictate a memo into your phone. Oh, you could turn on the flashlight on your yep. phone. You could put your credit cards on, onto Apple Pay or whatever uh, and not carry credit cards. Uh, is there... I don't know. Does that bother you either at the level of being a purist or just it's lazy and at a certain point you're going to need a flashlight and that's not going to be good enough? And do you worry about all this stuff that's going onto one device is what I'm really asking. Mm, I personally wouldn't worry about it, but I would say that the people who do worry <laughs> about that is they sort of value um, being prepared in the 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 case of your phone runs out of battery or your phone breaks or you lose your phone. You're putting too many eggs in one basket, I think. And that's why a lot of everyday carry people, they they like to have a dedicated tool for the job and separate those things out. Um, and generally, like when you have a bunch of eggs in one basket, it ends up being like a, a jack of all trades, master of none. And some people who practice EVC, they really value top performance in each function. And usually that requires a dedicated tool um, you know, that is the best that they can afford or, or something like that. So all right, I all right. personally don't mind, yeah, it, like the phone thing. Um, I'm not going to like, you know, call people out for using their phone flashlight, but <laughs> there there are other, you know, options. Right. So let's, we got to you tell your story. So this is not that long ago. You're in a restaurant and there's a power outage. And I suppose all yeah. these people who are not too into EDC are just turning on their little flashlight, their little phone flashlights. Uh, explain what you had with you in that particular instance and why it made you really almost a person with superpowers. Oh, yes. I, I was the hero that day. <laughs> I have on my keychain a tiny flashlight, but it can output 600 lumens, right? So that's quite bright, much brighter than most people would ever need. But I have it. And, you know, I've been carrying flashlights. This is the first EDC thing I was into, really. It started my journey. I've been carrying a flashlight on me for like 15 years now. So my whole life led up to this moment. I pulled out my flashlight, I turned it on to max brightness and I point it at the ceiling and it just, you know, it it uh, bounces off the ceiling and then it fills the room with this like soft, reassuring glow. And then everybody clapped. <laughs> no, okay, so yeah, no, that didn't happen. But uh, I did have the keychain flashlight. No. And I was able to navigate the situation, right? And I did feel prepared. Uh, so, Listen, yeah, Bernard. That, when that, I when, stuff happens. when I land you the TV commercial for that particular uh, light thing, uh, flashlight thing, <laughs> we're going to say everybody clapped because uh, I just think it it's, okay. it sells better. You got to start endorsing yes. things. Um, so <laughs> let's talk a little bit about you and what, what else you have. So you've got a really interesting keychain setup, and I think even before we talk about what is there, it is part mm-hmm. for me anyway. For me. <laughs> this is so sad. Just finding this stuff that I'm supposed to have before I leave is really hard. I, I, I'm going to equip my iPhone with a little app that tells me how many hours per week I spent looking for my iPhone. Uh, but, um, but I think having stuff on your keychain is great because when you find the keychain, you haven't just found your keys. You found a whole bunch of other stuff. So what have you got there? Yeah. Um, so on my keychain, I do. So I have my keys. I have them actually all organized. I have four keys. I have them all organized in like a key holder. That's like an EDC thing that's very popular. So you can imagine sort of like it's like a Swiss Army knife, but instead of 
you know, a, a knife and like other tools coming out, it's just your keys. So that way they're silent, they're organized um, and they're protected. Then I also have the flashlight that I mentioned. And then I have an actual Swiss army knife to accompany that. And just those three is kind of like you have all the functionality of an entire everyday carry, but it's just on your keychain, which is something you would most likely carry around anyway. So I have like this baseline level of feeling prepared there. And then, um, you know, I just like I have, I'm somewhat of a car guy myself. So I have the car fob to my 2013 Toyota Prius. And then uh, I just have like a little titanium bottle opener slash e-chain loop thing that I can hook to my belt uh, loop. And it just, that's how I carry it outside of my pockets, just free up some pocket space. See, the, I don't want the bottle opener. I like the Swiss Army knife for the corkscrew. And I figured the Swiss Army at some point was just losing so many battles. They said, you know what? At least we should be able to open some wine uh, when we're losing. Yes. Um, so, yeah, so you got all of that. That's on just the keychain itself, which I think is mm-hmm. very, very cool. Uh, now, you've also uh, got – you're lately into Sense, S-C-E-N-T-S. So you have oh, an yes, atom- talk, talk about your atomizer. What's going on with that? Oh yeah, so it's it's this is also on my keychain. Um, I didn't mention it because it's kind of accessory to like what a core everyday carry right. is. Um, but yeah, it's it has a lot of the everyday carry principles to it. You could call it like an everyday carry cologne or something because it has a keychain attachment point, right? So it's already like it's made of stainless steel, so it's very durable, and then it's like sealed so it doesn't leak, and it just unscrews, and then you have. Um, just like a little button thing that you press and it sprays out cologne. So I can carry five milliliters of whatever cologne if I want to like touch up during the day, something like that. Um, But yeah, I feel like anything really can be turned into like an everyday carry worthy item with the right uh, design, you know, principles behind it. Right. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, there are certain things that like if you need an EpiPen, you need an EpiPen. Or if you Mm. get migraines, you want to have the thing that you take when you get migraines. And and there are certain things that like flashlights just make sense at a practical level. But it seems to be everyday carry can have an element of whimsy to it. It can have a lyrical feature to it. You wouldn't want it to be all lyrical, but whatever it is that you care about. So you care about, Mm -hmm. I mean, McCusker, who who produced the show, and she's like MacGyver. She can make, you know, she can make a flashlight out of some toilet paper or rubber duck and a butane lighter. She can just do stuff like that. But she seems to be worried a lot about her breath. <laughs> so I know she consulted with you about like that, like, like what if you need breath gum or there's like, there's one something that you can have that takes up less space, right? Yeah. Well, so my, my secret tip uh, for people who want like the most EDC breath freshener, I think it's the Listerine pocket pack strips. Mm. Not sponsored, by the way, but those are just these tiny, thin strips that completely dissolve. So you don't have to worry about uh, spitting out gum or like what are you going to do with the wrapper. And uh, they're they're they just keep really well, super portable. Uh, that that's my recommendation. Yes, that's you're not uh, doing endorsing them yet. Once I start ma- managing you, <laughs> uh, it's going to be hi. I'm uh, Bernard Capulong for yes. Listerine breath strips, uh, and I'll be getting 20%. Um, we should say Bernard is the founder and editor-in-chief of EverydayCarry.com, and you can check them out at th- that exact place, EverydayCarry.com. Thanks for being with us. We're going to talk about pockets in the next segment, but Bernard, thanks for being with us and having this conversation. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll take a break. Uh, I'll blow on a whistle, which I carry in my pocket, to let you know when we're coming back into the next segment. 
Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. You walk in, putting on a fashion show again. Of everything you bought today at the Buffalo Exchange. Every function, every flower, every stripe And how everything you like just happened to be in your size And this dress has pockets Think of all the things it can hold Chastic, your phone Ideas, how your hands when they're feeling cold Your joy is contagious Yes, that dress has pockets, but a lot of dresses do not. Most dresses, I feel comfortable saying that most dresses do not have pockets. Pockets are controversial. They're gendered. However, we have the person. We have the go-to person, the person you call when you want to talk about uh, pockets. That would be Hannah Carlson, the author of the book, Pockets, an Intimate History of How We Keep Things Close. Uh, This book came out just about a week ago, uh, and I don't think you can put it in your pocket, but therein lies perhaps the paradox. Uh, So, uh, Hannah Carlson, welcome to our conversation. Hi, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. So the history of pockets begins with no pockets, right? For a while, I don't know, (laughs) we probably don't know the inventor of the pocket, but people were probably much more likely to carry things in sort of bags, some kind of, you know, either a purse or a shoulder bag or something like that for a while. Tell us a little bit about what we know about the evolution uh, of, of this. Yeah, the pocket really is sort of a late innovation in tailored clothing. In fact, I think most people carried things a little bit more like Bernard, you know, slung, I mean, the the keychain, you know, you have a, you wrap something around your belt and you, know, you have it available to you. Um, so the world over, people have used bags in some form or other. And it seems like it's around the 16th century that somebody, some tailor, we can't identify who said, you know, instead of carrying this bag and attaching it to your belt i'm just going to stuff it in those big puffy breeches that you're wearing uh, and that's all we know 
So as a man, uh, I am required to think about the Roman Empire uh, every single day. Uh, so I'm assuming, therefore, say Cicero, I mean, he didn't have car keys or credit cards or anything like that. But um, what did people do, say, at, in, at that time in history, if you were wearing a toga with no pockets? Well, so there are, you point up exactly the fact that there are temporary pockets. So you mm-hmm. have, dra- if you have draped clothes, like a toga, that you, you know, you take a piece of big piece of cloth and wrap it around your body, you might have wonderful, like a sling sort of shape in which you could put things in. So in Rome, the late Roman emperor Augustus was said to have had people's the the sinus searched before he before you could have an audience with him so concealed weapons are already uh concealed in something like a toga right yeah so the sinus is that sling shaped pouch but you know i'm sure he had to brief the guards no no not those sinuses when i say search the sinus i mean the fold in the toga the robe um all right so does the the 16th century innovation, the invention of the pocket, does it change life very much? Is it discernibly a different world with pockets? Well, I think in a way, in a way it does because there's suddenly this recognition that you could have private space uh, in public. Um, certainly when we think about weapons, it really changes a lot of the game. Um, the first pocket pistols evolve in the 16th century and there's all this anxiety that people could be walking around and you could not tell that they were armed. Um, and so, uh, you know, all sorts of rulers get in the game and they start to draft proclamations and rules and they say, you may not, you know, hide about a man's body, um, you know, these, these small, these small scale weapons. So they, they, there's anxiety, there's a great discussion of, um, all the fear that that this, these kingdoms would be polluted in blood if dastardly robbers and um, uh, and highwaymen were allowed to 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 go about, and you couldn't detect them. I think that's the new thing that pockets allow. This it's a secret space, and they they were initially conceived of as threatening. And not only that, I mean, there's probably a very short interval in between the the propagation uh, of pockets and the development of pickpockets, right? Because suddenly I know where your stuff is. I mean, the good news is if you're walking across the Place de la Contrascarpe at midnight, you know, in some night in the 17th century, I no longer necessarily have to kill you in order to get what I want. I can just try to figure out where your pocket is. But the bad news is I can figure out where your pocket is and I can take stuff. So the pocket, you got the pickpocket, right? Well, I love that, the, but they're not called pickpockets at first. They're called pocket divers, which is just such a great name, I think. This notion that you had to, instead of just snipping the cord, you know, where your bag, your bag hung, so yeah. a cut purse, you become a pocket diver, someone who actually has to um, reach into your sort of private space. And actually, they considered themselves the far more, you know, far more savvy sort of um, bad guy. They had to have more skill. They had to get really super close to you. It's really hard. You know those very tight little pockets in a jean, the um, the fob pocket where you hold your coins? Hmm. Um, initially, those were kind of tucked right at your waistband. And they were actually protected space. It's super hard to get up close to the belly. And uh, prostitutes were considered very good at this new skill of pocket diving. 
I think there's a sense that um, we project maybe onto the pocket uh, that it is a place where something is being hidden from us, maybe even something about the person. I mean, I, I think even in Lord of the Rings, uh, Gollum, or it's actually in The Hobbit, I guess, Gollum, uh, he loses the ring because he, there's a riddle. What, what have I got in my pockets? What has it got in its pockets? Um, and I, there's this incredible scene in this movie called The Front. Zero Mostel plays this uh, comic comic who's been blacklisted during the Red Scare, uh, and and he's talking to this guy who's not going to pay him, and he says, what comes out of your pockets? You know what comes out of your pockets? Blood. Uh, and I think you point out that in, in uh, Shakespeare's Henry IV, Falstaff writes to Prince Hal something along the lines of, you know, you're a loser because what's in your pockets? Dirty candy and, uh, and brothel something. I mean, there's a way in which pockets are where you keep your secret, right? Right. And I think, well, exactly the way that Bernard was just mentioning that, that that notion that as you curate those objects on your person, they reveal something about yourself. Same in the 16th century. So uh, in Shakespeare's The Tempest, um, one character says, could your pockets speak? And if they could, <laughs> would they say you lie? You know, you, you can hide all sorts of things. And um, it now becomes this guessing game about who you are. You know, oh, I love that from the Tempest. That's terrific. Um, so yeah, and and um, but still, there's a gendered quality to all of this. And and I speak as a person who feels very at home in cargo shorts, where I get like lots of pockets. And in fact, I believe my partner often refers to it that way. Oh, I see you have lots of pockets today. Um, but <laughs> but there's a there's a whole problem here, and and I assume that it tracks alongside the kind of male gaze obsession with the shape of women that you don't want to distort it. But I, I could be wrong. Tell me what we know about why women are so often deprived of pockets. I think it really has to do with both that notion about femininity, this the question the, the the idea that women's wear highlights the feminine figure, the, the the idea that women's wear is really concerned with aesthetics, um, as opposed to men's wear, which has always been concerned with utility. Um, and so, you know, ideas about how people should dress be dressed certainly affects where we put pockets. Um, but there's also just the very more simple fact that there's a real difference in the way that men's wear and women's wear evolved um, from those puffy bloomers of the 16th century. Um, men then developed the suit, which was a sort of a uniform. And you can think of the suit as sort of this, um, uh, you know, like, what's the word? This, like a, a, a bureau. <laughs> organize all your stuff. Um, and they just keep going and they proliferate and, you know, from the 17th and the 18th century until it becomes standardized and you have mass manufactured clothing, you would never think not to include a pocket in menswear. It's part of doing business. Um, and uh, women's wear hasn't followed the same trajectory. It took a century later uh, for women to be able to wear, to buy a dress off the rack. Um, and so in 1850, you could go to Brooks Brothers and get a suit that would have pockets and be, you know, you could get it to fit you. Um, but women still have dressmakers up until the 1920s. And it's just once women, you know what, I'm talking too long, but once you get a purse, uh, <laughs> then there's this notion that, you know, we don't have to add the pocket. Not only have we never done it, but we can't quite think of where we'd put it, you know? And I think that's, so two parts of that story. 
Yeah. So, yeah. And certainly in the 20s, 30s, you got, for example, the flapper as, you know, maybe the exalted form of, uh, of fashion. And that you couldn't have a more anti-pocket look to it. I'm also wondering, the purse notwithstanding, I'm also wondering whether the lack of pockets for women is also a kind of economic disenfranchisement. It's kind of like you don't have what you need. I have what you need, whether it's money or something else. I, I'm the man. I have pockets. I have the stuff that you need. You're just supposed to be there and look great. And you need something. You have to ask me. I, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, gendered characteristics don't exist as reality. To live comfortably with them, we have to have evidence, I think, of their truth. Gendered clothing just re-emphasizes this notion that women don't act and do, that they are less they, they move around less in the world and that um, they don't need them. Um, you know, this is all very subliminal, I think, but it's still there, these sort of really traditional notions about gender distinction, and they show up in objects like garments, and they just reaffirm this sort of history of difference. So we're getting ready to have a conversation about other things that people might have in their pockets. But I have to ask before you go, and we're so excited about your book, but what do pockets mean to you? What what, what do you see when you see pockets? I just I just think there's just such an interesting place where we, they're like a microcosm of our person. Um, they, they suggest ex- exactly the way Bernard suggested. They suggest something about what we think we need, what we hope we are going to have. They're a place for memory. Um, you know, you look back at a pocket, a coat back, coat pocket from the winter and say, oh, right, I was worried about COVID then. Here's an old mask. Um, they just tell us about how we move through the world. And I think they're just really fascinating um, bits of evidence. That's such a great point that you, what, what you haven't worn for a while. In, in my case, it's always, oh, I have a dog who poops. I mean, every garment that I have has a plastic bag. <laughs> in the pocket, sometimes even after it's been through the washing machine. Um, and I discovered when I asked online an awful lot of, I have a lot of company, just, you know, if you have a dog, you got a plastic bag. Uh, but I love that idea that the pocket is kind of a history of your recent life. Uh, well, this is fascinating. Hannah Carlson is the author of Pockets, an intimate history of how we keep things close. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. And we are going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk very fast. Follow The Colin McEnroe Show on Facebook or Twitter at Colin McShow. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to or following our podcast on any podcast app. It's free. You don't have to wait an hour after eating before you go swimming. That's just something our mothers believed. Back to the show. All right. Our technical producer today is the person you just heard. That's Kat Pastor. Uh, and the producer of this episode is McCusker. All right. We're going to do a lightning round. We're going to go fast. And we're going to start with Dr. Mono Gohara, a private practice dermatologist and associate clinical professor of dermatology at the Yale School of Medicine, also an advocate around increasing inclusivity in dermatology. So um, Mona Gohara, when I asked uh, on Facebook what people have with them, a lot of people said lip balm. Uh, not everybody. Uh, yeah. makes, make the case for lip balm. 
Yeah. So I think, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. I think it's one of the, first of all, it's one of the few products that can actually fit in somebody's pocket. A lot of skincare products cannot fit in the pockets. So number one, it's size. Number two, you were talking a lot, Colin, about gender. Um, it's a gender neutral product. I like the fact that lip balm is hydrating, especially as we're heading into these winter months. And for those who like a little makeup or gloss, it can add a little shine as well. But the most important reason that I like lip lip balm in the pocket is because of SPF or sun protection factor. People forget about the fact that they need to put SPF on their lips. They know that they put it on their face, their hands, any sun exposed area, but they forget about it on the lips. And we know that skin cancer is the most common cause of malignancy in the United States, more common than breast, lung, colon, and prostate cancer combined. And people completely forget about putting sunscreen on their lips. So that's why I like a lip balm that has an SPF in it in my pocket. Yeah, and it's actually a thing that, as you say, it isn't as gendered as it maybe even might have been 20 years ago. Yeah. My friend from college, Scott, uh, is he owns like nine kinds of lip balm. My partner, Kathleen, they, they have conversations about lip balm that sort of freak me out a little bit. But um, does it really, other than the SPF, like, and neither one of them has the stuff with the emu oil. You got to get emu yeah. oil. It's all about the emus now. I don't Scientifically, I don't think the emus really offer us anything that we couldn't otherwise get, right? Right, I agree with you on that one. Yeah, and <laughs> and why why put the emus through any more suffering than necessary? I, I know well, we we have to wrap this up pretty quickly, but um, I mean, other than an SPF factor, is there anything else you have to look for in your lip balm? You know, actually, less is more, Colin. So, like, if it you know if it makes your lips tingle, or if it you know has a mentholy smell, or if it has a lot of fragrances in it. It may not be great for your lips. Just keep it simple. Something that just has, a, you know, a basic, you know, mineral oil or something like that to keep the skin hydrated and then combine it with an SPF. So I like less is more. It doesn't have to be fancy at all. Just keep it simple. All right. Yes. Our producer, McCusker, vouches for and is willing to do commercials for the Aqua Aquaphor Combo Lip Protectant and Sunscreen. Uh, that is in her. I episode. love it. That's, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, so we got a big yes from Dr. Mona Gohara. Uh, I know you yeah. got stuff to do. We're going to let you go. Uh, private practice dermatologist, associate clinical professor of dermatology at the Yale School of Medicine. And, and we're going to switch gears here uh, from your lips to uh, somebody with an even bigger possible emergency need. Joining us now is Peter Canning, a Hartford paramedic and EMS, EMS coordinator at John Dempsey Hospital, also the author of Killing Season, a paramedic's dispatches from the front lines of the opioid epidemic. So Peter Canning, welcome to our conversation. Hey, thanks for having me on, Colin. So I, you know, I said earlier in the show that I, I recently added, because I did a whole show about it, quick clot to the stuff that I've got a little first aid kit in my bag, but I don't have, I'm ashamed to say, with me, uh, I mean, I have something for a high volume blood loss, but I probably would be even more likely to run into somebody who might have overdosed. So tell us about what you think people should be carrying with them. So, yeah, I think that uh, anybody um, who knows anybody who is either uses opioids or has a past history of using opioids or anybody who just gets out in civilization a lot, you should be carrying naloxone. Um, in Connecticut, uh, four people die every day of opioid overdoses, and they're entirely preventable if they can be recognized and someone can get naloxone to them in time. And suddenly here, I mean, it varies from state to state, but here I believe we just recently started to get it over the counter. Yes, it's just become available now over the counter. You can get it at a drugstore, you know, Walmart, place like that. 
Um, you can also get it from uh, local harm reduction or local health uh, agencies when they do their trainings. But uh, it's really uh, important to carry. In fact, the Surgeon General of the United States has recommended that everybody carry it. Um, and I guess the next question would be, I mean, ideally we would all get a full training in this, but on short notice, how would you know whether this is what you need? In other words, you're looking at somebody who maybe is in distress. Maybe you can see a pill container or some kind of evidence near them, but how would you make so, the determination? Yeah, go yeah, ahead. Colin, yeah, generally uh, somebody with opioid toxidrome syndrome would be unresponsive. Uh, the main thing that we look for is breathing. If they appear to be breathing okay, then they don't need naloxone. But opioids kill by stopping people from breathing, so they die from lack of oxygen. So if you find somebody that uh, is unresponsive, their pin pupils are pinpoint, they might have some blue discoloration around their lips, um, try to stimulate them with your hands, see if you can wake them up. Check their breathing. If they're not breathing adequately, then give them naloxone. It's very simple, uh, the, the nasal spray that's out there, you just you know, tear it out of the container, put the nozzle in the nostril, and push push the plunger. And you know, hopefully within a, a minute or two, it should uh, restore the breathing. And I gather that the uh, the use of it, the effective life saving use of it, is kind of uh, on the uptake. Right? People are starting yes. to get the message. Yes, absolutely. Um, we track a lot of this data here at UConn, and uh, this year so far, twenty two percent of the time that nine one one is called and first responders respond to an opioid overdose, naloxone has already been given by a bystander. Uh, we've noticed this been going up every year, and it uh, it's really can make a difference in, in saving lives. All right. Well, I'm going to get some, maybe today. I believe in being prepared. Peter Canning is a, a Hartford paramedic, EMS coordinator at John Dempsey Hospital, also the author of Killing Season, a paramedic's dispatches from the front lines of the opioid epidemic. We're going to end our show today with a conversation about, uh, well, you know, there's a whole song, but what does a Scotman have under his kilt? Uh, but uh, Drew John Ladd wears a kilt, and it's not that. It's like, what can you possibly carry if you have uh, a kilt? Uh, Drew John Ladd has been with us before on the racism in small towns show more recently. He read the Butterfinger uh, expert in the Reading Out Loud uh, extract in the uh, Reading Out Loud show, uh, and relevantly, uh, he most almost exclusively wears kilts. Drew John Ladd, a writer, uh, joins us now. So if you wear kilts, you don't have pockets, what do you have? Uh, so what you have is, uh, well, first, thanks for having me on the show. Um, <laughs> you have is called the sporin. It's the little bag you see people that are wearing kilts in the front. Sometimes it's covered in fur, but it's essentially one big pocket. A purse really is kind of closer to what it is. So what can you, I mean, can you fit like what you could fit into, uh, I guess maybe they vary in size, but typically what could you, what do you put? What's your EDC uh, inside this this pouch? So it's had, I've had to reduce what I care. When I was wearing pants, I carried pretty much anything. Um, I'm a child of the 80s and 90s, so I had oversized jeans and had huge amounts of pockets. Uh, here I've had to kind of whittle it down to my phone and my keys, uh, earbuds, just to be isolated in some places, and almost certainly cash every single place that I go. Probably the most useful thing I carry. That's interesting because I, th I think so many people just – That's a, I mean we have a producer here who I think does not ever carry cash and he really hates it and he really objects to it. So you have – you feel like cash is a useful thing to have. By far. Um, so for, for two reasons. One, when you're in a kilt, you're just going to end up being – much more social and cash kind of slows down the transactions and people really want to talk to you and you want to, it's, it's overwhelmingly positive. So I find that 
cash is just easier. And then there are a million instances that I find almost every day that you run into that you don't quite think about where cash is the thing. You'll drive by and some kids are doing a car wash thing or a bake sale or Girl Scouts or even a small business that you don't want the, them to, to pay the merchant fee and you're only spending two bucks or three bucks. Cash just makes it a lot easier. Yeah. That, you know, this is a whole other conversation, I feel like. Um, and yeah, I do a lot of farmer's markets and I like to have cash. Some of them take cards now, yeah. but I like to have the cash for them. And there's a whole – Bill Murray has a theory – we don't all live like Bill Murray. He says that you need 10s and 50s and 20s. Are just, they just slow everything down. They're, too, they're a little too big for small purchases and not big enough for big purchases. I don't know if you have a theory about that. I, I carry about 100 bucks, and I find that, that it's if I end up losing it, it's, it's bad, but it's not the end of the world. And usually if I need more than 100 bucks, well, I'm going to use it on a card anyway. All right. That's about, about the right amount. So do you feel okay, – so the Sporin, once again, that is the, the pouch. Do you feel as yeah. though – you know, I mean, you don't feel like cheated, like you wish you still had some of those big old jeans pockets now that you're a kilt wearer? No, not at all. So it, what it, uh, penny, parsing things down to just a few things, uh, in exchange, I get to wear a kilt all the time. <laughs> it's, it's incredibly comfortable. Uh, the first time I put one on, it was so much more comfortable than pants. And again, like going out into the world – the, the reaction is overwhelmingly positive. I I trade a, a more pocket space for socializing and making new friends and being more comfortable. <laughs> All right. As an, as an introvert, I've been just talked out of ever wearing a kilt. Uh, <laughs> although maybe it would just open up new horizons for me, but maybe I don't want you them just open. Might. Yeah. Well, Drew John Ladd, always fun to talk to you. Drew John Ladd is Likewise. a writer and a uh, pretty much full-time, as I understand it, kilt wearer these days. Uh, we're going to end there. Uh, but, you know, if you're heading out, obviously check yourself. Make sure you've if you're first of all, first of all, if you're heading back, check yourself for, for ticks. We did already already did a show about that and tweezers and stuff like that. But if you're heading out, make sure you have the stuff you need and maybe something that you don't need.